We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. In LeBron's case, to hear that he lost his cool is very, very surprising, you know, considering how polished he is and where he's at in his career now. I'm surprised he admitted to actually hitting the whiteboard after game one, just kind of showing that he was frustrated and kind of lost his cool. Do you give Draymond the max to try to break up the Warriors team? Or if you're the Warriors, do you just give him the max because he sacrificed 12, 13 million to bring in KD? He's a good player, key cog for your team, and is able to do a lot of different things. LeBron, and you bring in another free agent, are they good enough to compete You know, with the upper tier teams in the Western Conference? Are they good enough to beat the Warriors? I don't think so. Are they good enough to beat the Rockets? Maybe, but I still don't think so. Welcome to the Kyrie episode of Pull Up, number 11. Shout out to Kyrie. I hope you're recovering well, man. I'm currently in Miami training. Just woke up from a beautiful nap, and my mentions are blowing up because I told Draymond, you know, if they don't want to give him his bread, he should leave. It was a joke, but I was kind of serious. And, you know, Dre and I are friends. I wish him nothing but the best going forward. Congrats on another championship. Uh, I hate it had to be you guys, but... Well-deserved, well-deserved. As I said before, I'm back in Miami training, you know, working on my body, trying to continue to figure out ways to improve, uh, going through the biomechanics parts and a lot of body maintenance, a lot of functional corrections and, and some of the movements I've been doing my whole life, obviously. Shoot a lot of baskets for that right shoulder. And I can, continues to go through different things as we progress into the career. So just trying to make sure that right shoulder is loose, you know, especially around that trap area so that I can continue to make it rain for as long as possible. Uh, really looking forward to getting back on the court here shortly, and that'll take my workouts to a whole other level, and I'll be able to uh, continue to get closer and closer to game shape as we round out June and get closer to draft week. I haven't seen any of my teammates lately, but I've been talking to some of them. Shout out to Ed Davis. Talked to him the other day. Working on a vacation here shortly. Shout out to Dame you know, and his baby. I know that uh, he's enjoying some time with his young one. His young one's holding a bottle now on his own. It's crazy how time flies, but... I have talked to a few teammates, and without further ado, we're going to welcome Jordan before we get into, you know, LeBron and, and the whiteboard and his hand and similarities to Marcus Smart. Never thought I would say this, uh, Marcus Smart and LeBron, you know, doing something similar. But uh, without further ado, Jordan Schultz, welcome. CJ, you know, I'm just wondering how that South Beach lifestyle <laughs> is treating you. It's going well, man. Honestly, I'm in a, I'm in a high rise, so I can oversee the city. It's really, really peaceful. Um, I haven't really got involved in nightlife. I got a chef cooking all my meals, trying to really tighten up the diet, tighten up my body, and get as much sleep as possible. As I told you before, I, ex- I extended my nap when you said you needed a little bit more time for the for the pod today. I was excited about that. I was able to sleep a little bit longer and uh, just continue to try to get as much rest as possible, watching as much Netflix as possible. Have to watch the billion season finale tonight because I'm a little behind. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, bro. I'm in, I'm in for a treat, I, I can only imagine. And I also finished up, uh, I think it's called The Big Money Heist or something like that on Netflix, which was really, really, really good. Well, you and your Netflix, I mean, that's hand in hand. I, may I recommend Evil Genius to you? That's a good one. And, uh, you know, the, the, the billions obsession must have hit, Full fever pitch, having Brian Copeman on last week. How, 
How exciting was that for you? Because that I could just sense that that was a big deal to you having uh, Mr. Billions himself on. Yeah, I mean, besides having my brother on, I think that's that's the the pinnacle of my podcast. You know, having the Billions producer and director on, just getting some insight on him, understanding that he does meditate as well, understanding that you know a lot of us go through different things in our day to day lifestyle where we have to unwind. Uh, we all have different addictions and things that kind of bring bring us in and pull us in. So I think it's just important for people to understand that regardless of the profession, regardless of where you're at in life, we all go through, you know, different things, different obstacles. So just hearing him kind of share some of those things, share, you know, the importance of saying no, share the importance of, you know, figuring out your time management and having to not go to dinner invitations, not go to certain events because you have to focus on yourself and your family and some of your close relationships. I think it was great content not for not only for the world but for myself and just the fact that he's the producer of billions was just the cherry on top because i'm i'm obsessed with billions and honestly i i jokingly told somebody the other day i would pay to be on the show <laughs> I, I i totally believe you and uh here in the biz we call this a transition how about the relationship between can we compare the relationship how about between cj and billions to lebron and the whiteboard i guess that's a little a little bit of a stretch, right? Yeah, definitely a stretch because uh, Billions is a love-love relationship. There's no hate. There's no hate involved. So. <laughs> it's not ever a love-hate? Okay. Yeah. In LeBron's case, obviously, you know, he's one of the most mature, upstanding citizens, you know, out there regardless of sport, you know, with his charitable contributions, what he does for the community, what he does for the sport as an ambassador in general. So to, to hear that he lost his cool is very, very surprising, you know, especially you know, considering how polished he is and where he's at in his career now. But that just kind of shows you the magnitude of game one and that loss and kind of what it did for the team's morale and what it did for the team going forward. It was just a tough, tough blow. But you know, that just shows we're all humans. We all make mistakes, obviously. You know, his hand was was an issue, but he still averaged a triple-double, and he's not going to use that as an excuse. And I, yeah. I want to get your thoughts kind of on wearing the cast post game as opposed to just kind of cruising off in the sunset and not bringing it up at all yeah that's the thing for me that i thought was strange because i i understand that the guy gets hurt and then as he said he's pretty much playing with a broken hand but and i also understand that he'd want to hide that throughout the series because in the nba as as one player told me this week that's a weakness and if guys know they're going to hit that hand right. so i i totally get it i just didn't understand necessarily the necessity of using it or as perhaps we're using it as an excuse following game four because couldn't he have just as easily done his media done his press conference left the arena in the cast and nobody finds out right I was surprised I was surprised he did that and I'm not sure what the thought process was behind it or if you know, the trainers kind of wanted to get some compression on it right away you know since the series was over and since he was going to be heading home but you know obviously that's something to you know, kind of create a, a dialogue, kind of create a discussion. And I don't think he was trying to make excuses because I thought the ankle was more of a problem than the, than the hand, honestly, you know, when he when he yeah. twisted his ankle in that game. And they asked and tried to, tried to basically, you know, get his temperature on whether or not it was going to affect him. I think the ankle was probably more of a problem than the hand. But I just I always think it's interesting. Yeah, but the ankle we saw, nobody knew about – the, the, the whiteboard, and the Cavs did a good job of keeping that under wraps, but it surprised me that he would have come out with that in game after game four. And I don't know, like I, I think about like other great players, would they do that? Like would Kobe do that? Would Michael do that? I don't know the answer to that. I, I did think it was really strange, and I, I thought it looked kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think 
I'm indifferent about it only because the series is, the series was over, and I think it it took more more in him to admit to his faults, you know, to admit to punching the whiteboard than it did for him to to just wear the brace in public. I'm surprised he admitted to actually hitting the whiteboard after game one, just kind of showing that he was frustrated and kind of lost his cool and potentially could have hurt the team, you know, by by really damaging. Well, that, that was self inflicted damage. Yeah, self that was self inflicted damage. So that's why I was more surprised he brought it up because he could have just not said anything about it. Went into the offseason, yes. and, and they could have announced later that he hurt his hand and that he was going to be getting a procedure done or just kind of letting it rest. But for him to admit to actually hitting the whiteboard showed you that he was really pissed and was accepting responsibility, although he accepted it a little late in, in dramatic fashion in the sense that now people are kind of using that as an excuse, although he never said it was an excuse. Well, when you roll an ankle in a game, that's one thing. But when you punch a whiteboard after a game, granted an absolutely legitimate frustration following the J.R. Smith gap, that's – Self-inflicted, and it's not something that you would expect, to your point, from somebody like LeBron, who really does everything the right way, on and off the floor. Right. He doesn't make mistakes in life or on the court, no. really, in general. So for, for him to make that type of mistake, you know, in a pivotal moment in the, in the series was, was surprising. Surprising, but I think it's a good lesson. Kind of similar to Marcus Smart, to where Marcus Smart hurt his hand so bad he was out for weeks at a time. You know, at a crucial point in the in the Boston Celtics series, and you know it's kind of a big deal. But then it got swept under the rug. And I think the same thing will happen with LeBron. It's a big deal at first, but the season is over, so people will forget about it. And but people will not yeah. forget about that KD dagger from six feet behind the line. How great was that? Was that oh. was that the legacy shot? Was that was that another like legacy shot? Yes. Something that you'll remember forever from KD? Yes. And by the way, just to close the loop, LeBron did shoot twenty seven percent from three the final three games. Iggy was back, but I just think it's worth mentioning. Clearly that hand was not hundred percent. Okay. In terms of K D, that was the shot and that was the game that he needed to have. What I mean by that was yes, he was the MVP last year when they won it. But the game three that he had, when nobody else, especially Steph, who goes one of 11 from three, played well, that was the shot in the game that KD, KD had to have. And, he, ha- and he, he got it, and he has the not only the game, but he has that crazy pull-up three to ice it. That was fantastic. And he hadn't had that moment with Golden State up until that point. Yeah, I think... One of the most underrated things about KD is his ability to perform in the clutch, his ability to consistently get buckets. I think, you know, besides the elimination game, he had scored 25 or more points in every finals game he he had played in up to this point. So his efficiency, his consistency has been there since since the beginning of time and I've seen this stat, this stat on synergy it said over the last 10 over the 10 games since the start of the Western Conference Finals Kevin Durant has shot an e-field goal percentage of 50% on isolation 68% in pick and roll and 74% on spot up so that kind of shows you no, the three the three phases of the game: isolation, pick and roll, spot up. He's able to dominate in every facet, whether that be mid range, whether that be three pointers, whether that be getting to the basket or the free throw line. He literally did everything. Kind of showed everyone, uh, kind of what he said. It's easy to be good on a bad team around bad players. It's hard to be great on a great team full of great players. And some people will argue that that's not true. But I think you know there's there's positives and negatives to that statement because. He's right. Everybody can't be great on a great team. It's it's obvious, and some players, you know, are empowered by teammates around them, so they look better in their roles. Some role players look better. Obviously, JaVale McGee's a guy who looks 
unbelievable. Broke the Warriors franchise record for field goal percentage, you know, in, in a postseason and in the finals. So you kind of see how you're able to elevate other players. But he's one of the reasons why other players are great. He's able to elevate Steph. He's able to elevate Clay. He's able to elevate role players, Iggy, and make some of those guys a little bit better. And they also empower him and allow him to get more one-on-one situations, allow him to get more catch-and-shoot opportunities. And I think it's kind of allowed for his game to come full circle. And although I wasn't happy with the move that he made, he had a right to make it. Um, he was a free agent. He had to do what's best for his brand and his family. And I think he's a better player now than he was in OKC. He has a better understanding of the game, has a better pace, is a better playmaker, is a better defender, is a better rebounder. And I think the move has allowed him to evolve to where if he does decide to leave this team at any point, um, he, he will be a completely different player than he was in OKC. Well, Houston was built around stopping Durant. He, I thought he showed his medal in that series because it was hard oftentimes against Houston for him, and he still found a way to get it done. Then he goes up against Cleveland, who we know is a really bad defensive team. You've talked about that. But that was the game, game three, where had they lost, this series turns. Then it's 2-1. Then home court is still maintained, uh, or it, at least Cleveland still has you know, the opportunity to, to go 2-2 back to, to, to Golden State. And for him to say that it was like playing at Barry Farms, that was, by the way... You know, those are the outdoor courts in D.C. where he played as a kid in the DMV. (laughs) For him to say that game three of the finals was like playing at Berry Farms, that is a joke. That, I mean, how damn good is this guy if he's talking about game three of the finals like it's an outdoor AAU tournament? And that's just kind of the way he approaches it. It's like a walk in the park for him. It's easy. He's able to get to his spots. Even when he hit the game winner, he kind of looked like this like this is too easy. Like I'm able to get whatever I want. I'm a, I'm gonna show you how good I am. You know, last year I hit the walk off three in LeBron's face. You know, at the top of the key, kind of kind of towards the left wing. And this time I'm gonna shoot it from five feet behind the line and then swag walk it off and mean mug, letting y'all know that I'm here. And whether y'all want to compare me to the greats or not, I am a great one. Regardless of the decision I made, I'm still a great one. I'm one of the most well-rounded players to ever play the game and one of the most efficient players to ever play the game. And I think. You know, his play and his ability to kind of manipulate situations is indicative as to why, you know, uh, Bob Myers said some in some situations you don't negotiate. KD can get whatever he wants. And that's a bar. You know, you don't usually hear people say yeah. things like that about a player in the open market. And he's saying, look, I don't, we don't really need to negotiate. He gets what he wants and wipes and does the, you know, the European phrase of it's finished. Wipe my hands. Whatever you need, you got, bro. Just like that. Which brings us to the Draymond situation. And obviously, I'm involved on Twitter. People hate it. Some people love it. Whatever. I jokingly said that, you know, get your bread, Dre, or leave. Because Dre has turned down his extension in hopes of, you know, receiving a bigger deal. If he receives, I think it's all NBA, all defensive team or defensive player of the year, or something around that nature, he's able to get a super max deal, which is five years, $226 With that being said, let's take off the journalism cap for a second. If you're a team, with the Warriors or without the Warriors, or outside of the Warriors, do you give Draymond something close to that, or do you give him the max to try to break up the Warriors team? Or if you're the Warriors, do you just give him the max because he sacrificed $12, 13000000 million to bring in KD? He's a good player, key cog for your team, and is able to do a lot of different things. What do you do? Well, the, one of the reasons the Warriors are even in this position is because they bet on Steph early in his career when the ankles were a big concern and when nobody else seemingly wanted to give him that kind of money but it wasn't it, it that allowed them the flexibility to make all these other moves and and for for curry and clay and draymond 
to to a degree swallow their pride when KD came because he's now an alpha male that comes in. That said a lot about them as champions. Imagine the Warriors without Draymond Green. Steve Kerr has said, guys have said, that they felt vulnerable this year, the Warriors. That, to me, is the biggest sign that the Warriors have to have Draymond Green. So you're saying you give him, you give him five years, $226 million if he's available for it. I, I'm not saying they have <laughs> to give him the Supermax, but there has to be some kind of happy medium. Because Dr- Draymond has to realize that Supermax players are guys like, like Chris Paul wants Supermax. Kevin Durant, LeBron, I, I, don't, I don't put Draymond in that same consideration. I think he's a fantastic player. But he's not the he's not going to get the supermax anywhere else. So the Warriors need to understand that he's a key cog for them on both sides of the ball, and everything they want to do, the defensive flexibility, the playmaking, that is a big. Draymond is huge for that. But Draymond also has to realize that the sum of the parts is is better with Golden State, and that he his attributes are highlighted there. So that's why I think there has to be a happy medium, but not the supermax, but also not some. You know, low-level offer either because he he he's much better in Golden State than he would be anywhere else. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I think he's on the books for what seventy. I think he's under a five-year, eighty-two million dollar deal right now. He was uh, he was a bit, he was able to get ninety-six in the last year, but turned it down. His extension was similar to that range. But I think you have to look at it like this: Katie and Steph are arguably the best players on the team. Whether it's Katie's one A. KD's 1A and Steph is 1B is kind of up for debate. But I think looking at their roster, Steph's on the books for five years, 201 million. You can't give Draymond more than you gave Steph because of Steph Steph being a two-time MVP and kind of being the the face of the Warriors franchise before KD got there and probably still the face of the franchise if we're we're being honest. I think you give him more money. You give him a kind of a raise, a thank you for what he's done for the organization and, and kind of what he means to your team and how valuable he is from a defensive standpoint. You know, his defense and ability to guard one through five and help is crucial, crucial. Although his jump shot can, can improve some, there's some things he can work on, obviously, with the technical fouls. He's that spiritual leader for them, that energy that, that they follow. He's the one that's able to address KD, curse KD out, kind of get him to be more aggressive, get him to make an impact in the game. So I think he's a very, very valuable piece of their team. And although the numbers may not show it, averaging 11, 7.6, and 1.3, I think you have to give him a raise, although I don't know if it necessarily needs to be 200 and 210 or 220 million, but a raise is definitely warranted because of the fact that they've been able to win championships uh, with KD and they won a championship without him. So that kind of shows you how valuable he is from an IQ standpoint and what he means. However, I think there are some teams out there that will be willing to pay him close to super max to, me- to mess up the, the Warriors' chemistry. I think that. That you could, do. That could be something that happens. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he will get the super max, but I think there's some teams out there that will be willing to throw some money around to kind of put a wrench in their plans going forward, for sure. Basically to say, w- even if they don't think Dre is that guy, they think that he is that guy for the Warriors, so they're going to overpay him to a degree to get him and help disrupt Golden State. Exactly. Disrupt the pockets of the ownership, disrupt the, the pockets of the team, because then it, it affects the balance. You know, these owners are, are, are wealthy enough to pay dollar for dollar tax, but do they want to go into the tax that high? You look at the fact that Clay's up. Clay's up, going to be up for what, four years, 160? Four years, 120? Clay has one more year left on his deal. I think Dre has two. Right. So you got to pay Clay, and Clay's already said that he probably will take a discount. You got to pay KD this summer, uh, whether that be a long-term extension or if he opts in for the twenty-six million by the deadline. And then you have Iggy on the books with I think thirty-three million left. 
And other than that, there's not a lot of guys make it, making money. Well, Steph's going to make $46 million in 2022. Right. That's his last deal. So he's, he's really the only guy locked up long term. And if you're the Warriors, you have to now ask yourself this. Is Draymond, is he valuable enough to overpay? I'm not even saying to pay a Supermax, but let's say they overpay him or they, they give him a massive deal, a max deal. Is he valuable enough? And then also, are you able to overcome some of the immaturity concerns that always go with Dre? Like, I think he's great in the playoffs, but he does do things during the regular season that some teams might not deal with. Yeah, I think there's some teams that might not deal with him, but he's one of those guys to where if he's your teammate, you love him. If he's not your teammate, you hate to play against him. He's a competitor. Uh, I think that I think that he's one of the better teammates I've seen in terms of his ability to empower players around him. He sets screens. He does all the dirty work. He'll take charges. He'll make the extra pass. Uh, he's constantly trying to figure out ways to to distribute and help his team. You know, although he only averages 11 points a game, he's getting he's getting about seven assists a game as a forward who's able to guard one through five. So, although he can get technicals at times and run his mouth a lot, and the refs continue to start to give him leeway, as Channing Fry pointed out, you know. He screams and he, and he does a lot of antics and stuff like that. But I think as he continues to get older, he'll probably mature a little bit more in terms of just starting to let stuff go. You know, play with energy without, you know, degrading or showing up the referees. I think that's the next step in his in his in his progress. But what he's doing has worked. The team has been successful. They've won games. Although he did get thrown out of a, a, a potential back to back, this could be a four peat for the Warriors. And maybe if they win that championship, they don't even try to get KD. You know, after that three-one lead was blown, but it's something that we have to see yeah. see looking for, going forward. But I think that the shirt he wore during the the parade was just kind of indicative yeah. of the type of person he is. Like he's funny, he's outgoing, he kind of throws jabs at teams. You know, LeBron LeBron wore that uh, Mighty Warrior shirt. You know, a few years back, and then LeBron. Um, and then losing in the finals this year allowed Draymond to kind of get some digs with the Arthur shirt with the rings on it. So I think that they're kind of having fun with this, and I think that's what it's about. It's about having fun and, and taking advantage of the blessings uh, the good Lord has given us. I think when it comes down to it, Dre's a, a warrior long-term. I think he's a fantastic player, and he does everything that they need him to do. Like He, he, he embraces that role. I think it's almost more interesting to debate with Clay. And A, is Clay more important than Dre? Is he equally important? And then does Clay have it in his personality? To say I need to have my own team, and would Clay ever leave? I think Clay's already said it. He's content with you know being in the bay. He's happy with the winning. He's happy with the situation he's in, and he's already said that he doesn't mind taking less money because he's, if he's going to win championships and and be a, a key member of the team, I don't think he necessarily needs or wants or yearns to be the go-to guy because he's still a key factor. He's still a 3 and D guy who does a lot of things for the Warriors and is very, very important for the Warriors and has been an all-star multiple years running now. So I, I'm not sure if that's high on his priority list because of the fact that he's able to win championships. So I think that's something we'll have to see going forward. And as the, as the Warriors continue to try to decide, you know, do they pay Draymond more? Do they play, pay Clay more? Do they, we just give them both a boatload of money and roll the dice? I think they're in a great position because of the fact that they're one of the best teams ever assembled and are on the doorstep of, you know, you know, being in that dynasty conversation, having won three championships in four years, which is, you know, very, very rare and prestigious group of teams to, to accomplish that. But with the success they're having, that allows other teams to kind of, you know, figure out ways to improve. And, you know, obviously there's rumors about the Houston Rockets. And I think Akron Beacon Journal columnist 
Uh, Marla Ridenauer says LeBron hates Houston and won't play there. I don't know what type of relationship she has. Yeah, man. <laughs> she has wow. with, with LeBron. And, and uh, I'm not sure where she got this information from, but I think there are a lot of teams that are on the table. I don't know personally you know, what type of decision he's going to make, but I would imagine that he's going to consider all options because he's at that stage in his career to where winning is priority, but his family is also priority. So I think you know, him considering all options makes sense, and Houston is a, a viable option. Yeah, no, the, the Rockets are absolutely viable because I don't think you can rule a team out like that that's that's on the verge of you know winning a championship that has James, that has Chris. Obviously, Chris Paul wants the Supermax as well. I think the Rockets will give it to him. My, my biggest question mark with not only Houston but any team, especially a good team, that is going to try to go after LeBron is – if LeBron comes in and says, "Well, I'm, I just want the one plus one," can you really, can you really bank on that and build around that? I don't think you can. I'm saying if you're a Houston uh, or a team that's really close, um, because unless he's saying, "I'll you know I'll sign, a, a, let's say a four year deal," which he's not going to do, then I don't know how you can bank on you know building around LeBron, especially if taking it a step further. Like let's say you're Boston, you know. Like I, I, the the Celtics don't need LeBron. I mean, he's a great, he's obviously the best player in the world. But the Celtics are right there. You know, I, I was told by by multiple sources that you know there's there's a slim chance he'll go to Boston or the Warriors. So why don't we throw that out and and really look at Houston, maybe San Antonio, the Lakers, perhaps Philly, which I don't think is a good fit. The Lakers, to me, I've told you, CJ, I think that's the best fit. They can go out and get a PG, maybe a Kawhi instead. They have. They have room for two max guys. Why wouldn't he want to go there with Magic, build his brand away from the game, use Magic as a blueprint, as a media mogul, as a as a global iconic brand, and then he can be the guy, you know, with Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma, etc. I mean, is that isn't that doesn't that make sense? I got three things for you. All right, first thing, if you can get LeBron for six months, <laughs> let alone a one plus one, you do it. You you do it. <laughs> Right. I don't care if it's just for the playoffs. I don't care what the situation or circumstances are. If you can get LeBron on your roster, he improves your team regardless of what you have. He, he improves your team because he's arguably the best player in the world. He's able to play every position, guard every position, and can impose his will on any game at any given time, as we've seen with his 50-point performance in game one and single-handedly leading that Cavs team to the finals. And people would argue they had no business being there. Um, looking at their roster, looking at – what what the Rockets' goals are? It's obvious their goal is to compete with the Warriors and win a championship. And LeBron's team, LeBron joining that team, puts them in a better position to do that. So I think they'll they'll revisit and look at every angle possible to put themselves in a position to be as stacked and as good as possible going forward. So LeBron has a what thirty six million dollar option or something along those lines. He can opt in or opt out. Either way, he can force a trade if he wants out. Or he well, can- that's my question. That's my. Is there any way he opts in? There is a. Yeah, he could opt in. He could opt in and, for, and still force a trade. You could opt in and negotiate to be traded. There's a lot of different options, you know, that he could potentially take. But I think in his mind, I don't know if he knows what he wants to do yet. Anyway, he's probably going to step away from the game, take a vacation, and kind of settle I, down I before even going through options on what he wants to do. Because the season is so draining and demanding on you, you got to give yourself that mental break to kind of re- recoup and not make a, you know, emotional decision based on what just happened. So I think he'll have to do that. But looking at the Boston Celtics. They don't need him either. Yeah. However, they have a lot of pieces playing similar positions to where 
at some point a choice a choice may need to be made and then there's uncertainty with Kyrie on if he's going to try to go to New York you know there's rumors and people were saying that you know he wants to play in the garden at some point before his career's over and he's a free agent in 2019 so there's a lot of stuff going on behind closed doors that I'm sure the teams are trying to figure out from a stability standpoint to a team need standpoint to oh, all right, we have Gordon Hayward, we have Tatum, we have Brown, we have all these great pieces and potential assets, and we have another first-round pick coming in the next two years. So there's a lot of lot of things he could do there. I'm not sure if he goes to Boston from a legacy yeah. standpoint, having been in the Eastern Conference for so long. Well, that's, that's it right there. I don't think he does that. That's what I was told, that he doesn't want to chase. It's not appealing to chase Kyrie or, or KD with the Warriors. But there are, there's only a certain amount of teams that can – that can create the the amount of room to sign them. It, it's like I think it's Dallas, Sacramento, Chicago, and Atlanta. The Lakers, for example, are another one that they can create more than I think seventy million in cap. So that's if they let Julius Randle go, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. But the, but if the NBA needs LeBron in LA, the Lakers when the Lakers are relevant, the league is that much better. No, I mean I get I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying from a okay. big market standpoint and from, a you know, obviously him being, being involved in acting and production and continuing to build his brand off the court. But from a competitive standpoint, LeBron and you bring in another free agent, are they good enough to compete, you know, with the upper tier teams in the Western Conference? Are they good enough to beat the Warriors? I don't think so. Are they good enough to beat the Rockets? Maybe, but I still don't think so. And there's some other teams in the Western Conference, like the Spurs and those other teams who are very, very good and competitive in playoffs and have that chemistry to where him, another all-star, and Lonzo Ball, I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if that's enough. He needs shooters around him. Well, Brandon Ingram's going to be an all-star. He needs shooters around him. He needs players around him who can score without having the ball because he's ball dominant. So you put around other guys who are ball dominant with him, I'm, I'm not sure how successful they'll be. Uh, in in those roles, playing off ball, like having to slash instead of catch and shoot, but I think I think you're right. I think there there are possibilities, but looking at that that Lakers roster and what they would have to move to get him, like how does that affect Kyle Kuzma, who's very very good, has all star potential, has you know franchise altering potential. You bring in LeBron, that changes his career trajectory right away. It changes it. I think Brandon Ingram's an all star. You think Brandon Ingram's an all star? Uh, no, I think he's going to be an all star. I think it's just a matter of time. You think he's better than Kyle Kuzma? I don't think he's better than Kuzma, and I loved Kuzma coming out of the draft. But both of those guys have all-star ability, and both of them, to me, can play. Like, Kuzma can spot shoot. Yeah, Kuzma can play on the post. Kuzma can, but if you bring in LeBron and MPG, one of them is is on the short list. One of them's minutes are getting cut in half. So it just depends on who they – who they value most from a development standpoint. Because but CJ, can you imagine? See, to me, LeBron going to the Lakers adds pressure to him. First of all, the only reason you don't want LeBron to go to the Lakers, you don't want him in the West. I don't, can we disagree to that? <laughs> I don't care where he goes, honestly. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's going to be competitive regardless. I think the biggest thing is this. The Warriors are the best team in the NBA. That's the team everybody's trying to beat. So the other teams are trying to load themselves up and position themselves to be, a, to be able to compete with them in a seven-game series. And whether LeBron goes to the Lakers or to Houston or whatever, that doesn't impact me or my day-to-day lifestyle at all. I'm approaching it the same way. Like, I have to get better. Our team needs to get better so we can compete with the Warriors. Obviously, there's other teams that we need to get – we need to be better than, you know, heading into the playoffs and throughout the playoffs. But the ultimate goal is to win a championship. That's what it's about. So, you know, whether, whether he goes there or not, that doesn't affect me. Because we got to figure out a way to get out the first round. Then we got to figure out a way to get out the second round. I'm saying that 
from a guard standpoint, they have wings. They're loaded with wings. Kuzma can score in a variety of ways. He can catch and shoot. Brandon Ingram's more, you know, 15 feet in the mid post. He's got a variety of, of, of options, and his game is, is very, very well-rounded. But I think the Lakers are going to get Paul George for sure, so that's going to cut into somebody's minutes. And then if they get LeBron too, I think that you need a point guard that can knock down shots, that can catch and shoot. Lonzo Ball's very, very good in terms of seeing the floor, making the right passes, pushing tempo. But it's kind of similar to if LeBron goes to the Sixers. That takes the ball out of Lonzo Ball's hands. And if he goes to the Sixers, it takes the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands. And I think that affects their production. And it affects you know how good of a player they can be. Although the teams would both, both those teams would improve. To me, the, the one that, that makes a lot of sense, obviously, is the Rockets, given LeBron's relationship with Chris Paul. And I, I just don't know if, if that – I don't know if that works – Part of me is like, oh, they're great basketball players. They'll figure it out. And they're all smart guys. They understand that. But the other part of me is like, well, Harden wants the ball. Paul is willing to play off it to a degree. But then LeBron, like you said, he's a ball stopper. He's he's an unbelievable one at it. But he needs the ball. And then on top of that, the Rockets, you know, I think the most likely scenario would be, like you said, he opts in. They trade. Um Maybe Ryan Anderson's in that deal, maybe not. But it bought it, It's it's it might be a long shot, but it's one that Daryl Morey has shown he can pull off. Look at last summer with with, with CP. Right. I, I just think the Lakers will be. It'd be great for the league, and I think it 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 shows LeBron embraces the pressure because it's not going, and at least to the fans' perspective of taking quote taking the easy way out, going <laughs> to a team like Houston that's already truly built to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, I think for for Braun at this point, the easy way out is going to the Warriors. So I think he's going to do that. But I mean, in this, well, that, that that's not going. He's not going to the Warriors. Yeah, that's. I think that's the easiest way out. Him going to Houston doesn't assure them a title because of what they would have to give up. It would still be competitive. And on the flip side, they would potentially be playing the Warriors in the Western semis or Western finals, depending on the seating. So that means that there's right. no guaranteed, you know, path to the to the uh, finals. So I think that that makes it that makes it a little more appealing and interesting as to whether or not he'll go to the Western Conference because, you know, the the, the champs the three three the last four years are in the Western Conference. So do you join that conference? Is a another discussion, I suppose. But it's almost draft time, and I think a lot of movement around the draft and during the draft will dictate cap space. It'll dictate teams' plans going forward and whether or not you know certain teams are trying to make moves. Obviously, Aaron, Aaron Gordon's a free agent. There's a lot of potential free agents out here to where. Moves can be made to create cap space. Moves can be made to uh, create room for LeBron, Paul George, uh, CP, other potential free agents. So, what what type of movement do you expect to happen on on draft week? I know you got your ear to the streets. I know there's a lot going on behind closed doors right now. Do you expect any movement? Yeah, I think in the top five, you know, Sacramento's interesting at two. I I don't think they move. I think you know, Atlanta could move. Memphis, uh, who picks four. The two most interesting players that that maybe have elevated themselves the most are Mo Bamba and Michael Porter Jr. Porter, because as now multiple people have told me, I talked to a GM today who said this exactly, he is the most offensively talented player in the class. Wow. He's, I mean, the guy's 6'9". He, he could be Paul George. Yeah. Yeah. Wow is right. I mean, multiple executives have, have said the same thing. There's nobody more talented offensively. Now, the guy has serious back concerns. He barely played at college. 
You know, there are there's there's mental toughness concerns. You know, these are the concerns that you go into the draft with with a lot of guys. Jeez, mental mental toughness. <laughs> the coming out is mental. No, that's not mental. But that the the knock on Porter coming out of high school was oh he's a little soft. Uh, and then the, that knock that knock became even more prevalent when he got hurt and didn't didn't really play. And I don't think that's fair, but that's just the reality of you know the situation. And then and then Mo Bamba, I mean th- this guy CJ, he's freakish. The guy, seven ten wingspan, which would make him longest guy in the NBA. Had to go bear. He's he's worked with Embiid a lot, and there that's what NBA teams hope they're getting. He's really smart. He can shoot it. I think he'll shoot a lot better in the NBA than he did in college. He's already significantly improved his and again this is not games but like you, you can see his his jump shot it looks a lot better and more fluid i see a video of mom but i like him i like what i've seen from him i heard about him when he was going into into college i heard someone say that if he decides that he wants to play basketball he could be the number one pick like if he really likes it and starts to enjoy it but i don't know what his love for the game was at but it looks like he's starting to love the game he's athletic he's long he's fast he's quick he has great timing and I think that he's definitely going to impact the team based on his skill set and how quick he's developing. Like he's he's having rapid development in terms of his jump shot, footwork, ability to, you know, use both hands around the basket. I think that. Oh yeah. I think that he's extremely skilled. So that's why I was surprised when they said that Michael Porter was the best offensive player, uh, because they're only seeing him in workouts probably by himself. So it's kind of hard to tell how great someone is when they only play one or two games in college and work out by themselves. Whereas Kyrie played 11 games, so he had a bigger body of work. Yeah. And you were able to kind of see everything. But 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 wings are such a commodity now. and It's a, it's a wing-driven league. And Porter, I mean, if he's right, the value there, whether it's a two or seven or – I mean, you could get a legitimate all-star. And he was the number one player in the country – he he could have been the number one pick had he been healthy. Yeah, um, I agree. And that's that's what you have to balance. I agree. He could have definitely played himself into one. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about Bamba though, because when you watch him play, see, aren't you? I mean, can you believe this dude is? He's put on 30 pounds in three years. He's a teenager. Like you, you can look at him and you're like, that guy could be a fantastic pro. Yeah, you look at the skill set he's showing flashes of right now without even having NBA. You know, nutrition, NBA staff around him full time. You know, he's getting summer work now two days, but it's not the same once you get around your team and they kind of take you under their wing and you're their personal project where you got a strength and conditioning guy working with you nonstop. You got everybody kind of, you know, putting their eyes and time into you daily. I, th- I think that's when he'll really evolve. And you get to play in the NBA in the NBA games and go against NBA contact and you know, really, really get to work on certain moves, whereas now you're working with a trainer, so you're not really getting guarded as much. But once you get to play against people and practice against certain players, that's when your game continues to evolve. So I think it'll be interesting to see how much better he gets, you know, from year one to year three to year five, looking at Joel Embiid, who kind of had a redshirt year or two, to work out against players, to practice against players. So his progression was different because he was literally training for a title fight, and the title fight kept getting pushed back. But he was already ready for the title fight. You know what I'm saying? If you get the uh, analogy there. But if his skill set is anything close to Joel Embiid, he's going to be a serious problem. Oh, man. And, and he, he's instantly going to come in and, and change your team defensively. I mean, he averaged almost four blocks a game second in the country. As has been described to me, he shot the ball really well consistently throughout all his workouts out to 
you know, base, NBA, he can make NBA threes, but really as a pick-and-pop guy. And Porter had a private workout in Chicago where certain teams were invited. He was apparently incredible. He has another one this week. So both, I just that's why I bring up those two guys because going you know a month ago you you didn't expect this kind of movement with them but I think both of them have really helped themselves. Yeah, I think I think you hit it right on the head. The interesting thing will be Trey Young. Where Trey Young goes, I'm interested to see you know where he Ooh. goes. What do you think of him? I think he's going to be good. Obviously, the size is something people always talk about. You know, is he five eleven? Is he five ten? Is he six foot? But from a pure basketball standpoint, you know, based on the skill set he showed in college, I think he could do a lot of different things. He'll be good in pick and roll. He showed he has range, but I think it just depends on where he's drafted. Because you look at the shot selection, like depends on what type of team he goes to. Does he go to a team where it's his team, or does he go to a team where he has to be a role player? You know, on that team, kind of, you know, giving somebody else the ball, kind of setting the table because he takes a lot of, you know, high volume three pointers from from far, far. He was taking threes from from Jimmer for that range. If you remember the Jimmer for that days, uh, that was kind of the guy I watched a lot when I was in college. But I never will say someone's not ready or not going to be good because you just never truly know. Some guys are overrated coming out and some guys are underrated coming out. I'm not sure where he falls in that line, but in college, he was a killer, you know. He was uh, very, very fun to watch in terms of getting assists, leading the country in scoring and assisting for a long time, you know, kind of single-handedly leading your team every night while getting buckets at 5'11", or whatever he is, was impressive. I was impressed by his ability to dominate college. I would like to see him get a little bit further in the tournament, but it happens. Well, he didn't have a lot of help on his team. He measured, by the way, a shade under 6'2", with a 6'3", wingspan. He is slight, but... I, CJ, I get excited when I watch him play, man. Like, he, he's got that pizzazz. And I think the openness of the NBA game, the pick and roll, uh, the, the transition, I think he's an excel. I, I, I would love to to see him in the, in the NBA on a team that allows him to be him. Because I think if he can get in a system, like you said, where he has not necessarily full autonomy, but an opportunity to, to really learn and, and grow from mistakes, I think he can be a really strong NBA player. Yeah, that's what's key in development nowadays for NBA players. Everybody's capable. It's just about what type of opportunities you're given. Are you empowered? Do they put you in a box or do they let you go free? Because if they let let him go free, I think he can find success. And based on his ability to, to be aggressive and fearless in terms of taking shots and attacking, I don't see why he won't have success depending on the role he's in and depending on whether he's in the Eastern or Western Conference. So I think a lot of things will factor in to his success early on. But What was that process for you learning – you know, when you can make mistakes, what shots to take. I mean, as a lottery pick, yeah. you were the 10th pick, right? So the opportunity to, yeah. to grow. How, how did that go for you? My situation was completely different. I wasn't drafted into a team where it was my team. I got drafted into a team that had LaMarcus Aldridge, Wesley Matthews, Nicholas Batum, Robin Lopez, Damian Lillard, six-man Mo Williams, Darrell Wright, Chris Kamis, Steve Blake. Like, we had a squad to where – I got hurt, and we, were, we went from lottery pick to one of the best teams in the NBA. I think we won 53 or 54 games that year. So I wasn't able to make a lot of mistakes because we were a playoff team. So mistakes were magnified. Every game mattered. I had to know the one and the two and the three in terms of positioning. So being able to learn multiple positions while not playing is very tough because you're not actually on the court. You know, I was hurt, so I'm basically watching from the sideline trying to pick up on play calls and things of that nature. And then you got a shot selection issue to where you're used to taking contested shots, you're used to taking tough shots, and now you're not the first option. You're not the second option, you're not the third option. Shoot, you could argue I wasn't the fourth option. So you're out there trying to just kind of blend in and, and not sure when to shoot versus when to pass versus when to make plays versus when to be aggressive. So there's that 
that balance to where you know who you are and what you're capable of as a player, but are you allowed to do it right away? And does it transfer right away? Because the role changes depending on where you get drafted to. So I think a lot of players have a lot to look look forward to in the NBA, and then they have a lot that that's going to surprise them because you have to still be able to maintain your confidence and understanding who you are, why you're here, and what you're capable of doing while not necessarily being able to show it every day. And that's tough. A lot of people don't have that mental capacity and ability to overcome obstacles, you know, fail, get hurt, go through stuff, family life. There's going to be issues that come up. Put all that stuff to the side, suppress it, and still be able to succeed in basketball. And I think, you know, KD talked about it. You know, he said that he thought winning a championship was going to just make his personal life better. It doesn't. Being successful in basketball doesn't take away from the personal issues you have. Those personal issues and stress is still it's still going to be there regardless of if you're MVP or if you're the 15th man on the, on the roster. So you have to mentally be able to handle that and not be able to handle possibly not having success on the court, which is very, very tough for an NBA player to do. Like, there's, there's nothing like walking into an arena knowing you're not going to play. That's one of the hardest things in the world to deal with, sitting on, sitting on the bench knowing you're capable of being great. Not just good, knowing you're capable of greatness, but sitting on the bench is tough. It's very, very tough. You were taking taxis two hours before games or three hours before games to get a workout and knowing that, yeah, your parents were coming tonight, but you're not going to play. Yeah, it's one of the most humble things you'll go through, you know, besides losing and all that stuff. Not not being able to do your job, being paid to do your job, but not being able to do it. Something right. you love every day. It's, it's tough. And that was my game. Going to the arena early was my game. Literally, me, Will Barton, T-Rob, Victor, Claver, we would all get we get ones in, get twos in, run the bleachers, get a full lift in, full lather to where I take a shower sometimes before the game. And sometimes I'm in a suit. DMP. And sometimes I'm on that bench in my in my sweatsuit. DMP. Not leaving the bench. It was to the point where, you know, guys would joke like. I shouldn't even put my jersey underneath this because ain't no way I'm going in. <laughs> you know what I mean? So wow. you go through that stuff, and it's tough mentally. It can wear on you. It can, it, it, you go through depression. Is it embarrassing? Stress. Absolutely, it's embarrassing. You, you, you're at the highest level, and you feel like you're able to play out there. You know you're able to play because you showed it in practice. You might have showed it in exhibition games. You might have showed it at the end of regular season games. But – you know, sometimes the rotation's just not in your favor. Sometimes you're a younger player, and coaches don't like to play inexperienced players. And other times it's just a, a matter of situation. There's an all-star in front of you. There's a guy who's a veteran player who's very, very good and is in front of you and knows the ins and outs of defensive assignments. He knows the schemes better than you, and he's an efficient player to where you just got to wait your turn. And it's hard. You know, we live in an era now where we want everything right away. You want to be great right away. You want your relationship to be successful right away. Women want to get married right away. Men want to have kids. They want to do this. They want a mansion. They want money. They want everything to happen right away. And sometimes you have to be patient, understanding that, you know, the trials and tribulations and things that don't work well in your favor, you appreciate it that much more when it happens later. And I think that's where I'm at in my life. You feel like you found that balance. Absolutely, but it takes time. It takes some some losses. It takes some bumps and bruises, and it takes failing in certain things, whether that be on the court or off the court, to where you figure out how to manage your time better, how to manage your stress better, how to manage your sleep, and how to just be thankful for what you have and and not compare yourself to others because it's it's a there's levels there's there's levels to this game and to this lifestyle, and you can't keep up with the Joneses in this lifestyle. You go broke or be unhappy. Damn, morbid. You know what's not morbid, C? What? The grape. Pinot Noir. <laughs> Lately, I've kind of—I've been cheating on Pinots with, with the Cavs. It just kind of happened. I've been, and I'm not happy about it, by the way. I, I need to go back to Pinots. I was with um, 
I was with our guy Devin Booker the last few days. We were drinking some cabs. He's going to come on, uh, I think, uh, in the next couple of weeks. He's going to be in Miami. I'm sure he'll be training with him. And uh, we had some California cabs, including a frog's leap out in uh, Rutherford by Napa. Wow, that's that's impressive. Cheating on me with Devin Booker for what? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> CJ, you, you. No, See, bro. I, I knew I knew I'm you were going to be mad, and, and I got to apologize. But you know what? You're you're in you're in Miami, you know, living the high life. I'm I'm merely I'm in New playing, York City, you know, getting ready dude, for man, the drugs. Hard, I'm happy for him. He's about to get a stupid bag. But cue to why music. I got something for you, Jordan. You know, you've been cheating on Pino. I have too. I must admit it. <laughs> I had some cab last week. Actually, my uh, business manager was in town. It was his wife's birthday. We were celebrating. And actually, I think we went to Hakkasan or something like that. But I had this Camus Vineyards uh, cab from Napa Valley 2015. And it's priced on Vivino at $84.97. But you can buy it for $74.98. And it has a 4.6 rating, which is pretty good. And it's ranked the number one in best wines between $40 and $80. And it's among the top 1% of all wines in the world. Very, very good. I enjoyed it. Not sure how many bottles of it we had, but we definitely had a lot of it. And um, I would recommend it to all the listeners out there if you want to get away from Pinot. It's not necessarily a strong and bold taste either. You know, like most cabs, it's, it still goes down pretty smooth. Paired well with, I don't know, rice. You can pair it probably with steak as well as pasta. I can't go wrong with it. I would definitely recommend that for sure. I'm into it. I think, you know, here's the beauty of this is I'm starting to get inquiries or, or people say, hey, I want to send you some wine. And, and I just, I appreciate that as does CJ. So we are all about trying new vintages and wines. But once you get back to New York, CJ, and you finish this Miami thing, I think we got to go back to the Pinot. We do, for sure. And I have some Pinot at the house that's waiting on me, so I'm really, really looking forward to you know, getting back to uh, New York and then getting back to Oregon so I can hit up some wineries with wifey. I might even take her to, to Napa this summer, so I'll keep you posted on that, on, on what happens from there. Lastly, I think I'm usually supposed to do a J. Cole quote, but... I've been reading everybody always uh, Bob Goff's book, as I mentioned on the last podcast with uh, Billions producer, and I got a nice quote from the book that I want to share with everyone. Love one another. What is simple often isn't easy. What is easy often doesn't last. When joy is a habit, love is a reflex. I think that's a great excerpt from, from what I've been reading and just kind of trying to take that into life. Uh, when joy is a habit, love is a reflex. So take that with you, Jordan. I will. Take that with you. I definitely will, man. And uh, for the listeners out there, we appreciate you guys. Follow the show at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Insta. Follow me at CJ McCollum. Follow me at 3J McCollum on Instagram and at CJM313 on Snapchat. And you can follow Jordan at Schultz underscore report on Twitter and Instagram. Jordan Schultz on Facebook. See. And don't forget to... Hold up. Hold up. Boom.